Well, it was so exciting to get to say hi to so many of you who came to our first weekend service last weekend. We're continuing our series on AKA. We looked at a Holy Father, and it was so encouraging to hear so many of you just love being back at service. And I hope that's true this weekend as well. Yeah, we're continuing our series on AKA, the nicknames of Jesus. And today we're looking at a high priest. Jesus reveals himself as the great high priest. Now one of the challenges with this nickname is that I'm not sure a lot of us have experience with the type of high priest he's referring to. See, I think when many of us think of a high priest, we might think of a a pastor, a Catholic pastor we call a priest. A priest is someone that uh, is a professional Christian, might be how we think about it. But that's not exactly how the writer or the reader of Hebrews would have interpreted that. See, way back in the days of Solomon, they built a gigantic temple. And this temple is where people went to worship. And there was a high priest, and the job of the high priest was to represent people to God and God to people. And so when Jesus is claiming to be the great high priest, he's saying, I am the one, because there's only one great high priest, I'm the one priest that represents God to you. I want to show you what God is like. And I understand what you're going through because I was a human being. I came to earth so I can represent to God the needs, the wants, and the challenges that you have as well. In fact, when you begin to understand this nickname, that Jesus is the high priest, he's God, come close, come near. When you begin to realize what God did by leaving fourth dimensional space, all peace, all joy, and coming to experience heartache on earth, you say, wow, God did that for me? And as I begin to understand that, it makes me want to run toward God rather than running away from him. God, if you're the one that can bring forgiveness, even when I do something wrong, I want to run towards you if you can make a sacrifice for me rather than running away. Hope God doesn't find out about this one. In fact, here's what it says in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 about this nickname. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to this confession. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but in all points was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us boldly come before the throne of grace. You ever had one of those movies where you just saw a dad or a character who was willing to fight for their people or fight for their children? You're watching Liam Neeson, you know, I got a particular set of skills. And as you're watching a movie, you're like, I want a dad like that. I want to be a dad like that. I'm willing to go in and fight for my kids. You're reading a book about a warrior who's willing to fight injustice. You're saying, that's what I want. I want to get close to, I want to emulate someone like that. That's the idea here of God being the great high priest. He's the kind of dad, he's the kind of warrior, he's the kind of father who fought into this war zone of earth for you and I so he can sympathize with us. And when you get that, 
when you understand that, he says, you'll be able to boldly approach the throne of grace. Boldly run toward your dad rather than running away, even when you make mistakes. So let's look at three aspects of this great high priest. The first aspect of this father is that he has walked in our shoes. He walked in our shoes. The God of the Bible is a unique presentation of God, of all the other religions, of all the other philosophies. God's not an energy away from us. He's a person who came near. He has walked in your shoes. He truly knows what it's like. God says, because I'm a high priest, I know what it's like to be betrayed, to be stabbed in the back, to face injustice. My cousin was beheaded. Uh, One of my good friends died. I wept at his grave. I've walked in your shoes. You need grief? I've got it. You need strength? I got it. You're confused at what this broken world's all about? Man, I know. I've been there. Here's what it says in Hebrews. We do not have a high priest who cannot, right? You remember in grammar school? You remember how many times your grammar teacher's like, you don't say not twice. You don't have a double negative. Now that's true. But in Greek, this is a construction used very purposefully. It's not bad grammar. It's intentional grammar. When you say not, not, we do not have something that cannot. It's like putting a double exclamation point on the end. It's like highlighting it and saying the positive here is what I'm really trying to emphasize. Two negatives, in this case, do make a positive. Look what he says. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, which is a way of saying we definitely have a God who can sympathize, sympathize, exclamation point, with our weaknesses. He's been there. He's walked in our shoes. Now the word sympathize isn't kind of a generic emotionality word. It's really getting at the idea that the God of heaven, the God who made you, the God who created you, chose to come to earth and walk in your circumstances. So he can sympathize. He can understand whatever you're going through. That's important. It's important when you begin to see the power of somebody who enters into your circumstances, it can change it, everything. It can change history. It can change your perspective. When a father listens to you, when a boss really understands your concerns before making a decision. Even the secret to the Civil War and restoring our country is said to be Abraham Lincoln's ability to walk amongst the dead in the North and the South. It was him entering into the pain and sympathizing and empathizing with both sides that allowed him to bring people together. In that famous speech of Gettysburg Address, it struck both sides that he understood the pain that had been going on, the, the toll, the cost. Because of that, he took broken people who were adversaries and brought them back together. That's what God does as well. There's a, a war going on between God and human beings who rebelled against him. Jesus came as the gap to put those pieces back together again. 
I had uh, some grandparents at our church who said their grandson was struggling with some spiritual questions. Asked me if I could take him to, to lunch. So I invited him over to my house uh, this summer and said, hey, let's play some games together. So we were playing some games together, and as we did that, he said, uh, hey, can I talk about some spiritual questions? He said, I don't know if I really believe in the God of the Bible. I said, well, have you ever explored the different uh, dimensions of what God has portrayed in different philosophies? He says, no. I said, well, in some religions, God is an energy, like use the force, Luke, right? It's not a person, it's an energy. And because he's an energy, he's good and bad, right? There's a good side of the force and a bad side of the force, which means that view of God, God is in good and he's in evil. He's in a rape, he's in a murder, and he's in a hug and a kiss. Huh. I said, now, isn't there something in you that says, no, 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 I don't like the idea of God being evil. Well, if that resonates with your heart, the God of the Bible does not subscribe to that. God is good. He's outside of his creation. He's never the author of evil. And yet, unlike Judaism... And unlike the Muslim religion, where God is transcendent, he's way out there, he's up there, the God of Christianity came near. He came close. He knows what it's like to live our life because he's been there. He's been in our circumstances. As we talk for the next hour or so, he began to see the vision of Jesus, God in the flesh, was unique amongst other religions. It wasn't just one of many visions of God. It's a very unique one and he began to be interested wanting to to get near tell me more rather than run away or just whitewash God as maybe one of many many gods in a pantheon of gods why is it then when we think about God we run away from him well sometimes because we're fearful right I did something wrong and God's not I don't want God to be mad at me other times it's this idea that well, I'm running away from circumstances because I'm fearful that I, I'm the only one and, and no one understands. But God does understand. And God is with you. And whether you feel insecure or incompetent or feel like God's mad at you, the high priest is here to offer sympathy and forgiveness. So that's the first aspect of this high priest. He's walked in our shoes. The second aspect, he's not only walked in our shoes, he's climbed into our pit. He's climbed in our pit and he knows how to get out. See, it's one thing for somebody to climb into our circumstance and say, well, I've been through that too. And that's powerful. That's connective. But we also want somebody who can get us out of here. How do we get out of this pit we're in? The high priest has climbed into the pit of life, but also found a way to get out of evil, to get out of death, to get out of, of the temptation to give in to lust or anger or impatience or lack of compassion. See, this high priest says, I know how you feel because I've been there, but I also know what to do. Hebrews goes on and says this, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all points he was tempted as we are yet yet without going wayward without rebelling see this high priest said I came to earth and I can fully understand why you're tempted to lose your temper 
to get mad, to get angry and be out of control, to be narrow-minded, to be unteachable. I get it. I've had all those temptations for wealth, for power, for prestige. And understanding all of those areas of temptation that caused you to maybe fall into a pit, I also never gave in to them. So I can sympathize with your pit in all ways. I've been there, I've done that. But I also know how to get out. I can give you forgiveness and the power to untangle yourself from lust, to untangle yourself from the need to be needed, to untangle yourself from always needing other people's acceptance and being covered in the fear of that so you can't ever speak truthfully because you might hurt somebody's feelings. In all points I've been tempted and yet without sin. This high priest has climbed into your pit. And because of that, he's available to you and I. And that creates an intellectual connection. Oh wow, I, I need somebody who can help me get out of this. I'm stuck, I'm, I'm stuck in my own appetites. But also, it touches your heart when you realize, oh, I can't let God find out about this because I gave into my lust or I gave into my lust for power, or I gave in for my lust for sensuality. No, no, I'm a God who understands that. It is wrong, but I get it. And I want to help you in your pit. It creates an emotional connection. I was reading an article about some parents who are going through a very difficult trial. They had a fifth grader. I just can't even imagine this, but they found out their fifth grader had terminal cancer. They caught it pretty early. So it was potentially terminal, but there's also a chance with very, very radical chemotherapy treatment, their son might survive. I just wonder as a, as a dad how I would cope with that, how I would handle that, how I would lead my family and my son through that. One of the big issues their son had was just the embarrassment of going through chemo and coming back to his fifth grade class with no hair. So they went through the treatments, went through the sickness. Things were going relatively well, but he still faced the embarrassment of showing up with no hair. His mom and dad took him to school that day and said, you know, be courageous. People are going to understand. People are going to be there for you. People, people aren't going to make fun of you. And he, he knows other fifth grade boys, right? Of course people are going to make fun of me. He came to his class that day and opened the door. And much to his delight as he stepped into his classroom. Every one of his classmates had shaved their head. Every boy and every girl. The class had, teacher had explained to the class what their classmate was going through. In order to enter into his pain, in order to let him know not only was he not going to be mocked, but they were with him in the midst of it, they all shaved their head. It was a way of saying, we're in this together. We're going to let our hair grow out together. And that family ultimately beat back cancer in the context of community. That's what God's saying to you and I. I, I came down to earth. I shaved my head with you. I felt what it's like to be around people who are sick and dying. I, I know what it's like to have my friends pass away and to weep with them. To have my cousin John the Baptist beheaded unjustly. I get it. 
The God of the Bible says, I know what it's like to lose a son. I watched my son being crucified on the cross. I understand. And so God wants you to run near him, to come near him, to feel that kind of father, that kind of heart from your father. I was reading an autobiography last year of a guy named David Livingston. And David Livingston was an incredible missionary and doctor who invented many medicines and explored the Congo and Africa in a really unprecedented way. He wrote several articles about crossing uh, through the desert in Africa that became bestsellers in the 1800s. Then he disappeared for like a year. So back in America, there was a journalist. And the journalist said, we got to go find David Livingston. So he turned to one of his crack reporters, a man by the name of uh, Henry uh, Morgan Stanley, and said, can you go find David Livingston? He wrote him a check for a thousand pounds and said, if that's not enough, I'll write you another, I'll write you another. Go find David Livingston. He had like a hundred person team going into the Congo with over a year's supply as they made their way upriver. As they made their way upriver, he went to the last place that David Livingston had been found and kept traveling and kept searching. He was known as the brick breaker, this journalist was, because he wasn't afraid to break the bricks himself, to get into the rocks himself, to do the hard work of his co-workers and his team. There was something about his team recognized him as somebody who had, was in their circumstances. The rock breaker. God's our rock breaker. He's been in our pit. He's broken our rocks in his attempt to come and find us. Eventually he came and he found David Livingston. He was very, very sick. His opening line, at least this is what's said in the article, it's not recorded in their notes, is David Livingston, I presume? And that became the kind of catchphrase for him finding David Livingston. As they talked together, he began to take incredible notes of all the different exploration, all the different ways which David Livingston, as a doctor, had invented new medicine to come against malaria, to come against the different challenges and the flies there in the Congo. They brought that information back to the public. David Livingston, who was the hero, but the guy who really stole the attention was Henry Morgan Stanley, who was willing to go in after him and to bring back information from him so the world would know. That's what the God of the Bible did. He came after us, and he was the brick breaker. He was the one who was willing to walk in our shoes and walk in our pit, and yet, without sin, lead us out. Well, what's the third aspect of this high priest that would make us want to run toward him rather than run away? The third aspect of this high priest is that he knows what I've done and he wants to figure this out together. I love this idea of God. Other religions are like, you figure it out and if you will do good enough, pray well enough, maybe I, God, will accept you. Not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible says, I know what you've done. It's not a surprise to me that you've rebelled, that you've given in to secrets, that you have secrets. But let's figure this out together. I'm the high priest. I represent you to God. I'm your defense attorney, but I'm also the prosecuting attorney. And because I know you and I know God, I'm trying to figure this out. I'm trying to make this work. That's why Hebrews says this. 
Therefore, when you get, we have a high priest who's been tempted in all ways, who can sympathize with us. Therefore, let us boldly come before the throne of grace. Now notice the word boldly and notice the word grace. Because it's at this throne we may obtain mercy and find grace in help in time of need. Now let's untangle some of those words together. I think for a lot of people, the idea of coming before God boldly almost seems too brash. Some of us were scared. You know, God, listen, I won't make you mad. I'll stay out of your way if you stay out of my way. I respect you, and part of me respecting you is I'll keep my distance. That's not what God wants. That's not a God who's a high priest is, in, is even inviting you into. To understand how to come boldly before your father, your, your heavenly father, you need to understand the word grace. Grace is that God knows everything you've done wrong. He's not surprised. Oh my goodness, I didn't know. God knows what you've done. God knows what I've done. He wants to give us grace, unmerited favor. He wants to give us the gift of forgiveness we don't deserve. We don't deserve it. That's why it's grace. And when we understand the throne he sits on, the God who made the universe sits on a throne, and that throne is grace and forgiveness and love. If we'll admit, man, I fell into a pit again. I made some big mistakes, God. We will find grace, forgiveness, figure it out, help in our time of need. Right? Isn't that what he's saying? In time of need, what do you need? I need forgiveness. I need courage. I need the courage to face my secrets and face my mistakes. That's what I need. God says, yeah, you can find grace here. It's the difference between when you're in trouble saying, I I hope my dad doesn't find out versus when you make a mistake, when you've blown something up, when you've done something wrong or when you've been caught. Instead of saying, I hope dad doesn't find out, your instinct is to boldly say, I gotta call my dad. Dad will help me figure this out. Dad will be here with me. That's what it means for God to be your high priest. You call dad to figure it out rather than being scared that dad will find out. I had a friend of mine who was a, uh, an oil executive in the, in the Scotland Islands. And he was a big tough guy, big businessman. And he told me a story one time when he had a little girl. His daughter... Uh, sweet little girl, and she loved to, to have little, little tea parties. So she went and set a, a little table up with two little chairs in their front driveway. And she went and found dad. Dad? Yeah, honey? Can we have a tea party? Sure, I'll have a tea party. He thought maybe they'd sit in the kitchen or the living room and have a tea party. But no, she walked him out to the middle of the street in the neighborhood, where he then had to sit on this little bitty chair and drink out of this little bitty cup and little bitty tea. Right? Now, when you walk by and you see this big businessman sitting there at this little table with his daughter, what comes to mind? Is it, what an embarrassment. Grow a spine, man. For crying out loud, this is beneath you. No, right? You wouldn't say that. You'd say, wow. What a great father who's willing to get down and enter the world of his daughter. 
That's the idea here what God does for us. A God who's transcendent is big, executive, very important. And God is. But he's also imminent. He's willing to sit down and have tea with us. To enter our world. To not be embarrassed. To be seated with us in the driveway. In the middle of the neighborhood. To sip some tea. And because of that, we can reach out boldly to God because he reached out boldly to us. Maybe this idea of approaching God boldly seems foreign to you, but you can reach out your hand to your heavenly father who loves you, who wants to be your defense attorney, who wants to enter your pit. You can do it boldly. Dad, I need help. Because he first reached out to you by coming from heaven to earth. Think about getting access to certain people. Who's hard to get access to? Maybe it's, I'm not sure I could get access to a certain movie star. Even to talk to him for two minutes. A CEO or, or maybe a president of the United States. Yet think of the access their children have. Right? A movie star, a CEO, a president or former president. Like they can knock on the door in the middle of the night. I need some water. I need a glass of water. Can you help me? I need five bucks, right? They have total boldness as a child that the rest of us don't have. They can reach out to dad or mom boldly because their dad or mom boldly put them into the world. That's the message of the gospel, the Bible. The main message is that God reached out to you by making you He came to earth through Jesus on the cross to die for you. He offers you grace and forgiveness so that whatever you're going through and whatever you're facing, you can reach out to him boldly because he first reached out to you. Isn't that what it's saying there in Hebrews, that verse we just read? We can boldly approach the throne of grace. You can pray with confidence based on that. God, I know you are for me and you want to help me figure this out? When you're facing guilt and condemnation or shame, ah, oh, I did it again. Your heavenly father says, I know you did. And I've already forgiven you for it. So let's extract the shame, and extract the guilt. Now, it's still a problem. It's still causing you difficulty. Let's figure it out together. When you understand that, you're not covered with this big blanket of guilt and condemnation all the time when you find yourself getting caught or stuck you go dad boldly need your help again dad help me out here dad let's walk together through the circumstance to help me in the situation I didn't want to find myself in it also means it motivates you to go first you see if God went first for me And I understand what God did for me by giving me grace and forgiveness when I didn't have the best behavior. Maybe I should go first. I should be the first to apologize in a a marriage fight. I should be the first to try and reconcile with my son or daughter even though they're not willing to own their part yet. Maybe I should go first Because my heavenly father went first. I should be the first to serve, the first to forgive my enemies. 
those who disagree with me, I want to go first in extending them grace and peace and forgiveness. What is it like for you to say, God, I want to invite your forgiveness as high priest into my life. And then I want you to encourage me, Father, send me on a mission this week, this month, to go first. How can I serve other people in my life? Irritated people, irritating people, annoying people. How could I go first with patience and love and courage? Maybe as we had our grand, our grand reopening last week, you say, how can I, can I be part of creating a, a context to invite people in the door? I want to go first. And if you're feeling ready for that, maybe you want to be a greeter. Call the office, sign up for a greeter. Maybe you want to invite some friends who've had the last couple months thinking about their own mortality and, and what really matters and, and what's really important. And maybe these videos are something you could send on or maybe a service. You can, every Sunday afternoon, sign up for our, our seat reservations and come to a service, our equipping at 915 or our exploring at 1045. And it's a family edition. It's this talk I'm giving right now, only a little bit shorter with a lot of fun and entertainment, some magic, some juggling and other things as well because we know kids are not yet, uh, children's programs aren't yet open so they're going to be in the room with us. Whatever it is, look for ways that you can serve. Go first. Maybe it's giving. Maybe financially you're at a place that hasn't been as hard hit as others. And you're saying, God, how can I go first? How can I financially give to people in need? How can I financially support the work Horizon's doing through online services and the grand reopening we're doing with the 5,000-foot tent? God, I want to be part of creating services that impact my family and friends. Reach out to God boldly, even when you're angry. I talked to someone this week who's angry at God because these circumstances they're in are horrible. And I said, reach out to God boldly. Pound on God's chest if you need to. God's big enough to take it. He can take our anger. He can take our grief. Our dad wants us, wants us to reach out boldly in whatever feelings we have and thoughts we have to run near him toward him rather than running away. You know, I love this next song our band's going to do. It's about the idea of looking up at the stars. Instead of just seeing a God who's distant, feeling the light from the stars coming at us as if God is reaching out toward us to say, I am near. Maybe you want God to feel near to you as a high priest today. Why don't you pray a prayer with me just like this. Say, God, forgive me for all the pits I've fallen in and all the mistakes I've made. Thank you for coming near. I need help figuring some stuff out. And Father, I... I want to approach you not with wishful thinking or hopeful thinking, I hope you're not mad at me, but with confident thinking that I'm your son or daughter and I invite your adoption, I invite your fatherhood into my life and I want to see you as I see the stars above. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week.